So presumably we bring the meat then. Yeah. That's it, yeah? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> bring meat. Okay. Okay. Thought it thought it sounded a bit too good to be true. There we go. Okay. We are going to just uh, move on in our series on Genesis. I thought uh, Owen did a great job last week, just looking at. Isaac, and we're now going to move on to looking at Jacob for a couple of weeks. And, and there isn't a PowerPoint today, so you'll need to actually look it up in your Bibles, so hopefully you've brought them. Do you know, I used to think um, that when, when I saw, not just here, but in other churches, I just see people on their phones, thinking, it's really rude, isn't it, sending text messages, and I realise now I'm just so old hat to have a Bible that looks like this, because they're all on your phones, and... So whether it's on your phone or whether it's like this, you'll need to turn to it yourself today. And so we're going to turn to Genesis 25. And we're going to start at verse 21. So Genesis 25, verse 21. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. And the Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth... There were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau, which means hairy. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob, which means heel. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. You can imagine, can't you, what type of Facebook picture that would have created? Um, one hairy and red. And, uh, and what have you called your babies? Well, we've called one of them hairy and the other one's called heel. I mean, most people choose Ben and Josh, but no. Hairy and heel. So there we go. It's not exactly setting them up, is it, for success? The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man staying among the tents. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you so much for uh, your presence with us, that you've spoken to us already, that we've uh, sensed your voice, that we've heard you, that we've experienced you. We're just so grateful that we live in days when you speak. Lord, we think back to the days in the Bible when before Samuel came, and it says the word of the Lord was rare. Uh, We're so grateful that we don't live in a day when your word is rare, but we we sense you and we hear you often, and Lord, we don't want to take that for granted or take it lightly, and so we pray that uh, just in these next few moments that also we would have ears to hear what you're saying and hearts that would respond uh, to, to what you would say to us from your perfect and inerrant word. So come speak, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Um, this may not come as a surprise to you, or maybe, maybe it does, um, but, but I wouldn't consider myself to be an alpha male. No, it doesn't come as a surprise to you, really, does it? Um, I'm often reminded of this, and uh, a couple of times that come to mind when I've been reminded of this. One is when I talk to Peter about his holidays. So I think the last couple of holidays he's had, one was in India, cycling up the mountains in India, and uh, I just think, well, you know, I couldn't do that. I, I struggled when I used to have a bike to cycle up the South Circular. I'd be out of breath by the time I got up the hill with the South Circular. So cycling up mountains in India just doesn't compute with me. And, uh, and then his, I think it was his last holiday, where he, and he paid for this, okay? He paid for a, a week, in, in, like in, in a boot camp. And, uh, and, and he went to this place, and they had like sergeant major type people there, didn't they? And, and they just shouted at him all week and made him do stuff like press-ups. And, and then you would at least think that maybe on a holiday like that, you'd, you'd at least get to eat steak or something in the evenings. But no, then he told me that oh, no, 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 it was salad in the evening. So, you know, I was thinking, God, and you paid for that? <laughs> boy, oh boy. You know, I would rather stick pins in my eyes than go on a holiday like that. And... Uh, so conversations like that with Pete have made me realize, do you know what, Phil, you're just not an alpha male. And, uh, and there's another incident that really sticks in my mind, which just once and for all sealed it. And it was about two years ago. Um, and uh, I was, it was in the summer. And I'd had to open up my school in the summer holiday for builders to come in and do some work. And so I opened it up in the holiday. And uh, the builders came in. And while they were working around the building, so I had the keys and all that sort of thing, so I said, you know, if you need anything, just come see me. And I thought, well, I'll do a bit of work while I'm here, doing a bit of, do a bit of sorting out. And, uh, and so I was in the part of the school where I teach, which is with the youngest children, and, uh, and I was just doing a few jobs and a bit of sorting out. And at one point, uh, one of the builders, it was a plumber, I think, he came in to the nursery where I was working, and he needed me to let him in somewhere. Um, and he gave me a bit of a funny look. Uh, and the reason was that at that particular moment when he walked in, I was sitting in the home corner, <laughs> cross-legged, on the floor, dressing a doll. <laughs> it was. And, uh, you know, there's not, there's not much you can do to get back from that, really. I, I tried my best. I've put on a bit of a South London accent, you know. <laughs> All right, mate? <laughs> and uh, we want to get into the boiler room? Yeah, no problem. Uh, I'll let you in the boiler room, mate. Want to look at the, the three-point bows in there? Yeah, no, it's fine. I'll, I'll just put my doll down. <laughs> uh, so I've, I, th I think that probably just sealed it for me that I'm, I'm not an alpha male. And, uh, and so do you know the story of Jacob just encourages me a little bit? Uh, because clearly, uh, Jacob was not an alpha male. You would think, wouldn't you, that when you read the account of Esau and Jacob, that God would choose Esau, really. It, what does it say about him? He was a man of the field, man of the countryside. He was a, he was a good hunter. Uh, he was a bit of an alpha male. And it says about Jacob that he was a quiet man who lived among the tents. And uh, do you know, I can relate to that a little bit. But do you know, God chooses who he chooses. 
That's reality. God chooses who he chooses. He chooses the weak and the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. He doesn't choose who we might think he would choose. He doesn't look on the external appearance. And we know that also from the passage where Samuel is sent to go and find the new king for Israel. And Jesse lines up all the boys. And uh, Samuel goes down the line saying, must be this one, Lord. And God says, no, it's not that one. It's not that one. And we know the story that, in fact, the very one God had chosen, they hadn't even bothered to bring to the lineup. It was David who was just out in the fields, the youngest, looking after the sheep. God doesn't choose the way that we choose. He doesn't choose perfection. He doesn't expect perfection. And he doesn't expect perfection before he will pick someone up and use them. So we've read a little bit about Jacob there, but the rest of the story, actually, he doesn't really come out smelling of roses in the first years of life. He uh, deceives his brother out of his birthright by serving him up a meal. And uh, when he's vulnerable, when Esau is vulnerable and he's hungry, and Jacob just slips in, well, okay, give me your birthright and I'll give you this stew. And a little later on, we read the famous story of when uh, Isaac is, thinks he's approaching the end of his life and he wants to give a blessing to this older son who he loves, to Esau, the man of the field, and he wants to give his blessing to him. And then Jacob colludes with his mother, Rebekah, to, to trick Isaac, to trick his own father into giving him the blessing that belonged to Esau. And he dresses up in furry stuff so that his dad won't recognize him and all of that sort of stuff. Jacob is not, is not the obvious choice in any way, shape, or form. Do you know that encourages me? Because sometimes, do you know what, I can, I can feel like um, you must be perfect before God uses you. Uh, and I must be perfect before he will pick me up and use me. The reality is that he not only chooses us knowing what we are like, but he picks us up and is prepared to use us before we're perfect. In fact, not just before we're perfect, while we still have deep and enduring flaws in our life, he uses us. He doesn't wait. That really encourages me. What it also tells me is I must be very, very careful about how I judge other people. Because I have a temptation sometimes to look at other Christians, and even maybe sometimes some of you, I can think, well, okay, I can see that there's, there's still some stuff that God's got to do in her or him. And so, you know, we probably shouldn't think too much about God using her or him because there's still some big stuff to be done in them. Do you know there was some huge stuff to be done in Jacob, massive stuff to be done in him, but God chose him knowing that he was like that, knowing that he was far from faultless, and decided that he was going to pick him up and use him. God did not choose Esau. He did not choose the alpha male. He chose instead a, a quiet man who liked to live among the tents, and really, at the age of 40, was still having him directed by his At that time, um, when uh, Rebecca and Jacob deceived Isaac into giving 
missing. So I've changed. So, so at that particular time, when uh, Isaac is, is uh, tricked into, into blessing Jacob, Jacob is actually four, about 40 years old. And he's still having his life directed by his mother. So we're getting a picture about this guy, Jacob. He's quiet. He likes to live among the tents. His name is Heel, which also can be translated as grasper or deceiver. And... He's still a mummy's boy. At 40, his life is still being organized and directed by his mum. You would not think that this is the sort of person God would choose to bring the line that would lead to Jesus Christ into the world. But then God doesn't choose who we expect. And I can't look at you and think, hmm, do you know, I don't know, some stuff still to go on in that person's life. I just, you know, I'm not quite sure, really. How dare I do that? Because if you're chosen by him, if he's chosen you, if you belong to him, well, who am I to speak against another man's servant? That's what Jesus uh, says. Or, well, sorry, it's what Paul says in one of his letters where he talks about judging one another. And he says, who are you to talk against another man's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for God is able to make him stand. Now, when I'm tempted to make a judgment about whether you're ready, or whether you're the right person, or whether God's really working in you, or whether you can have a significant impact in the kingdom, I need to step back. I need to remember that that's not my call to make. You know, I also need to remember that when I'm dealing with people who aren't in the church. Because when we look at Jacob, 40 years old, no evidence yet to the outside eye that he's been called of God. Only what God had said to Rebecca before the boys were born, that the older would serve the younger. Nothing to appear that God's called Jacob. And if I'm not careful, when I'm out in the world and I'm dealing with people who I think aren't saved or aren't Christians and they're not walking with God, do you know, I can treat them differently if I'm not careful. I can treat them like they're not called. I'll give you uh, an example of how I've just started to change a little bit in that. Uh, the other day, I was uh, in a room with a few teachers and we were just having a planning day and there was one teacher at the end of the room and she said... Uh, she said, Phil, I just feel like I just keep putting my foot in it in meetings. Um, but, but you don't seem to do that. You know, somehow you manage not to put your foot in it. Well, how, how is that? What do you do? How is that? Now, I guess usually what I would have done is I would have sought, if you'd have asked me that, I'd have probably given you a spiritual answer. If you'd have asked me that. But I guess my pattern would be that if someone in the world asked me that question, I would say, oh, well, you know, just, oh, I just keep, you know, I just sort of bumble along and I try not to put my foot in it. And I'd come up with some sort of worldly answer. 
But on this particular day, I just thought, you know, what, what, why, should, why am I being different with this person to how I would be with you? I don't know if they're called. I don't know if God's call isn't on them. I should be speaking to them just like I would speak to you. And so I said to them, well, do you know what? Actually, I pray. I pray a lot. Do you know one of the things I pray? I pray from a verse in the Bible almost daily where it says, help me, God, to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And, you know, I pray that nearly every morning before I come to work. Because I, I put my foot in all the time unless I pray, unless I ask God. And this lady said, really? Okay, that's really interesting. She's got a bit of paper and she wrote it down. Okay? Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Like, great. Because I don't know if she's called. How dare I assume that she's not called? She may well be called. It might be that God hasn't met her yet. But she could be one of the called. She could be one of the predestined. She could be a future sister to me. Do you know, I need to remember that when I'm in the world because I can discount people so easily. I can discount people. I can look at them and think, well, they're, you know, they're, they're unlikely to come through to the gospel. How dare I? And so I'm starting now when I'm out and about and just at work for these last couple of weeks uh, to treat people and to try and talk to people as if I was talking to you. Now, Jesus says, don't cast your pearls before swine. So, of course, there are times when you talk to someone like that and you know from the reaction that you get back, hey, this isn't, okay, it's not just not, not, not going to, this one isn't going to work. It's not appropriate to do this here. I've given it a try from the reaction I get. Okay, you know, I, I, I get it. I get it. I, I once uh, went to speak to a guy who'd uh, just separated from his wife and someone else said to him, why don't you talk to Phil? And uh, he said, yeah, but tell him, I don't want any of the God stuff. So that was fairly clear. And so yeah, I did talk to him and try to help him as much as I could. But, you know, I, I, I didn't do the God stuff. You have to be careful and wise. I'm not saying that we should all go in and immediately start praying for every colleague uh, at the table. But you know what? I do think that we should start seeing them potentially as those he's called because we don't know whether he's called them or whether he hasn't and we don't have the right to make that judgment about whether they've been called or whether they haven't because when we look at Jacob's life he's the last person at the age of 40 that we would have thought that God had called to have a significant role and purpose in God's plans do you know what it also teaches us a little bit is when you look at someone like Jacob, he would, I guess, not have been someone we would have particularly wanted to be around. You're more likely to have wanted to be around Esau, the man's man. It probably didn't do your reputation a lot of good to be associated with Jacob, the quiet man who lived around the tents and let his mum sort out his problems. It wouldn't have been... It wouldn't have given you a lot of street cred to be seen around Jacob. Do you know what it says about Jesus that he associated with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes? It didn't do his reputation much good with the Pharisees, actually. But that's what we're called to do. We're called to not be afraid to associate with those who are not going to do a whole lot for our reputation. We can all think of them. There's probably people you're thinking of right now in your workplace, the ones who 
it does your prospects good to be seen with and the ones who it's not so great to be seen with. But you know what? God calls us to not be afraid to associate with people who aren't going to do much for our reputation. Just like Jacob, he wouldn't have done a lot for your reputation and yet the call of God was on his life. Let's not be quick to dismiss people. I know it can be my tendency, particularly when I'm walking in the world. I can dismiss people. I can even dismiss Christians if they've been Christians for a bit less than me or, or they're a bit wacky. I was at a prayer meeting on Friday night at our school. We have one prayer meeting a year where, where some of the Christian staff and some other guys who they know come and pray for the school once a year. And, uh, and the head came. Now, she's sympathetic to the gospel, but as far as I'm aware, she's not saved. And uh, while we were there on that Friday night, uh, there, were some, there were some good African prayers, let me tell you that. Yeah? Bring it on. But my reaction, in me, my first reaction was, oh, please don't go too mad. Not with the, please don't, not with the head sitting there, please. This is, not, this is just not going to help. It's not, it's not going to help the forward thrust of the gospel in this place. If she thinks you're weird and wacky, please don't. You know, please keep her lid on it, would you? No, that was my first reaction. Fortunately, I'm learning to dismiss that quite quickly. Because you know what? God is big enough. God is big enough to deal with Christians who do things slightly differently than me. Do you know that? He's big enough to operate in churches that operate very differently to this one. And if we're not careful, we can become spiritually proud. We can become spiritually proud as individuals, and we can become spiritually proud as a church. We can become spiritually proud as a movement, as a family of churches. Well, we do it this way here. I mean, down the road, well, Anglicans, Catholics, Pentecostals. No. God's big enough. Nobody's perfect. Get over it. Don't take yourself so seriously. Don't take other people so seriously. When God chooses someone, he knows they're not perfect. He's still happy to deal with them. He's still happy to work through them. I'm not talking about sin here. I'm talking about style. Do you know it's okay? If someone's a bit wacky, God uses wacky people. Somebody's a bit of a mummy's boy, but they're called and they're chosen. I don't have the right to judge them. I don't have the right to dismiss them. God chooses the weak and foolish things to shame the wise. He chooses the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before him. Do you know, I'm glad he chooses Jacob's. I'm so glad when I look at me <laughs> that he chose Jacob over Esau. If he'd chosen Esau, I think I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't enjoy reading this story so much. But because he chooses Jacob, I can associate with it. I can associate with him because God chooses the weak and the foolish things of this world. John Piper wrote written a great book and the title of it is Brothers, We Are Not Professionals. 
And if we're not careful, that's how we can see church life. We can see ourselves as professional Christians. And so the wacky ones are a bit over there, but I'm a professional one. John Piper says, no. Brothers and sisters, we are not professionals. We're called. We're going to be a bit wacky because he likes to call the wacky because it shows his glory more. Do you ever watch, uh, I, hope, uh, I guess some of you will be watching Wimbledon and I've been watching a bit of it every now and then and uh, hoping to get a glance of it at, at Becca and Laura and Lally's this afternoon. Um, and uh, sometimes the camera pans over to uh, the, like the VIP part and, uh, and I like to call it the beautiful people. You know, they, they do, don't they? They look, they look like they're, they're the beautiful people. They have, their hair is just really nice. Their clothes are great. They, they're all pretty and handsome. And, uh, and sometimes you see that in the city. I was up at the theatre on Thursday, and we just walked past, after buying a sandwich in Marks and Spencers, I walked past this, this very posh bar and looked through the window, and, and it was full of beautiful people. You know, they were really nicely dressed, and they were all drinking out of really nice champagne flutes. And, and they were the beautiful people. And uh, sometimes I look at them and think, ooh, quite nice to be a beautiful person. <laughs> it would be quite nice to have, have a few more beautiful people in our church, sorry. Um, no, I don't, really I don't really think that. No, I don't really think that. Well, no, I do think that sometimes. No, I don't really think that. No, I don't think that. But um, do you know it's more difficult for the beautiful people to get into the kingdom? Do you know that? Beautiful people, if they've got lots of money, they're rich. Jesus says it's more difficult for a camel to get through the eye of a needle. Now, that's not to say that beautiful people, when you don't strip it all away, are just exactly the same as all the rest of us. Yes, they are. But God often chooses the weak and the foolish and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that before him no one may boast. God chooses who he chooses, and that's his prerogative. And you know what? I might like to have a say on it, but I don't. And that means that I have to treat you with honor and respect because he's chosen you. And I can't stand in judgment over you, even over the things that you do that just I find a little bit irritating. Well, that's my problem. It's not your problem. It's my problem. I don't have the right to stand in judgment over you. We don't have the right to stand in judgment over each other. We have to love one another, warts and all, and be prepared for the fact that those warts will continue till our dying day. Don't expect that the person who's sitting next to you or your husband or wife, and you'll know this if you're married anyway, is, is going to become perfect by the time you reach old age. If you read this, sorry about that, Andy and Stella. I know, Andy, I can see the disappointment written all over Andy's face. Yeah. Nobody told you that, did they, Andy? Come see me afterwards, I'll counsel you. Um, perfection is not this side of heaven. And we see that when we read the story of Jacob. Right at the end of his story, he's, still show he's showing favoritism to his own son, Joseph. He hasn't learned the lesson about favoritism. Now, his dad had Esau as a favorite. You'd have thought he'd have learned the lesson, wouldn't you, by the end of his life, 
not to have favorites with his own sons, but he does. He doesn't always learn the lessons. He's not perfect, but God still chose him, still delighted in him, still worked through him. Do you know what, brothers and sisters? We will not reach perfection, and we just have to live with that about each other and love each other. And that's what makes the world attracted to the church, because it loves people, warts and all. It's what we're called to do. Why do you think it's the second most important commandment when Jesus is asked, what's the first? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's why it's the second most important command. We're called to do it. We're called to do it because we'll never be perfect. We'll never be that lovable. And so we, have, we are called to love each other regardless. Okay. We're going to move on in the story just for a little bit for this last bit. And so I want us to just move on to chapter 29. And we're going to just read a little bit more of Jacob's story before we finish. And we're picking up the story here after Jacob has um, bamboozled Esau out of the blessing. And Esau is mad. And Esau says he's going to kill Jacob. And Rebekah, Jacob's mum, overhears Esau saying this. And so she tells Jacob he needs to go. He needs to flee. And we pick up the story uh, at verse 10, where Jacob has left home and is fleeing from Esau. And uh, verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you. And will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. Jacob has gone for 40 years with a call on his life, and whether he knew it or not, we don't know. We only know that his mother, Rebecca, knew it. He's gone for 40 years, and so far, God hasn't chosen to show himself to him. God chooses who he chooses, but he also shows himself to those he chooses. God chooses who he chooses, and he also shows himself to those he chooses. You see, up until that point, Jacob had not been really aware that God was for him. He was only aware that God was his father's God and his grandfather's God. But he wasn't particularly aware that God was his God. 
until this day when God opens up his plan and reveals it and speaks to Jacob directly. God shows himself to those who he chooses. But let's look at what Jacob's response is. It's an interesting one. If I were God, I would not be pleased with this response. Having just uh, opened up this amazing vision and told Jacob that I'm going to be with him, uh, this is what Jacob's response is. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. That's fine. It's not bad so far. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Insolent little whop, that's what I would think if I were God. I've just told him I'm going to be with him. I've just given him a fantastic vision. And then what he says to me is, well, okay, if you do this, 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 and this for me, then, okay, you can be my God. But you know, the amazing thing is that God lets that go. If I were God, I would not let that go. I would be having some serious words about this. But God lets it go. What does, this, what does this tell us? Do you know, I think it tells us that God is happy for us sometimes to test him, to put him to the test. That vision that he's just opened up with the ladder, with the angels going up and down, commentators believe that what God is showing Jacob in that is that heaven, we sang it this morning, heaven is touching earth. And the angels are just representing the messengers that are going up with the prayers and requests of God's people and coming down with God's answers and blessings. God's just opened up this amazing picture of, the, of, of bring me your requests and I will answer. Where you go, I will go. You can experience heaven on earth. And uh, Jacob's response is, well, yeah, okay, there's a few more things actually that I'd like before I'm happy for you to become my God. But, do you know, God doesn't smite him. It's almost as if God is happy sometimes for his people to put him to the test. You see, up until now, God has not been Jacob's God. He's been his father's God. Do you know, sometimes that can be a bit like that for us. If you've been brought up in a Christian home, is he really my, I mean, I, you know, I made a commitment and um, I, I've had some funny butterfly type feelings occasionally when I pray and when we talk about the Holy Spirit. But is, is this God who was my parents' God and my grandfather's and my grandmother's God, is he my God? Is he the same God or, as the, 
the people I've read about in, in past times, is he, my God, the same God as Hudson Taylor's God? Is my God the, the same God as C.H. Spurgeon's God? Is my God the same God as Jackie Pullinger Toe's God in China who sees heroin addicts come off heroin through the power of the Holy Spirit? Is my God that God? And do you know what? Sometimes God is happy for us to put that to the test. In our community group the last few weeks, we've been talking and praying about faith for daily life. And we've been encouraging each other to just bring the day-to-day -day stuff to him and see if he answers. We've been putting him to the test a bit. Do you know why? Because I read stories about my Christian heroes and I want that God to be my God. I don't want my God to be a pocket God who I just carry around with me for the difficult times. I want their God to be my God. I want Hudson Taylor's God and George Muller's God and Abraham's God. I want, I want their God to be my God. I don't want just for it to be Abraham and Isaac's God. I want it to be my God. We might think that Jacob was being very presumptuous by asking God to do some extra stuff for him and then he'd have him as his God. And he was being deeply presumptuous, but God let it go because God is sometimes happy for us to put him to the test. Why? Well, later we read that when Jacob is on his way back many years later and he comes back to the same place, he says of something very different. He says, now that this is my God now. That's why God is happy for us to put him to the test because he doesn't want to be our granddad or our grandma's God or our parents' God or C.S. Lewis's God or Paul the Apostle's God. He wants to be your God. And sometimes for us to really believe that he's our God, he's happy for us to put him to the test. And, uh, do you know, I'm really encouraged at the moment because it feels like for us as a church, there are, there's an increase in faith that God will answer simple prayers. That picture of the ladder of Jacob with the messengers going up with the prayer requests and the aspirations of the saints and the angels coming down with the answers and the blessings of God is almost a picture of what I think God wants to do in us as individuals to test him. Will you test me in this? You're going to bring some simple stuff to me? What, about a parking space, God? Do you know that was one of my prayers a little while ago for a parking space? Yeah. Parking space. Okay, God, I'll ask you for a parking space. Yeah, sure. Okay, thanks very much. That's great. But I am learning to bring more and more and more of my daily, daily stuff to him. And you know, as I'm doing it, it is stirring my faith. Because I want the God of C.S. Lewis and Spurgeon and Amy Carmichael and St. Paul and St. Peter. I want that God as my God. I do. Otherwise, there's no point in having him. I want that God. And as he is doing that in us as individuals, I believe it's for purpose. 
I believe it's not just to answer our own prayers and to give us confidence as we live our own lives and faith for daily living. I think it's he's doing something in us as individuals that will affect how we operate as a church. He stirs faith in us as individuals so that then when we come together as a church to seek his will and to pray for mountains to be moved, our faith muscle has been developed. And suddenly, no, this isn't just the hero's God over there. This isn't just my forefather's God. Actually, this is my God. He's my God. You know, he wants to be like that to us in reality. That's what he wants to be. He wants to be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's God. And he will let you test him if you want to find out if he really is yours. So I'm challenging you. Put him to the test. Do it humbly. Don't do it presumptuously. But put him to the test. And if you do, see what he will do for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you deal with us so graciously. Lord, we're very grateful that we're not God uh, because we would have done away with ourselves long ago. But you are patient with us. You do not wait for perfection. For you know, God, that if you waited for perfection, uh, you wouldn't get anything done through us. But you have decided and determined in your good pleasure to work with feeble, foolish failures. That's the truth. And uh, we're grateful for that, God, because actually when you do that, the glory goes to you. And I pray, Father, you would help us to put you to the test, to do it humbly, uh, to do it with faith, to do it with great purpose in mind, knowing that we want you to strengthen our own faith muscle so that we can see you do wonderful things, wonderful things in our own lives and wonderful things in our life as a church. So I pray, Father, that over these next few weeks and months, over these next few years, you will build our faith muscle so that when we come to you, we are not just coming to the God of Spurgeon who set up hundreds of churches around London, but we're coming to our God who has proved faithful and mighty and strong to save and that you will do wonderful and marvelous things through this people unlikely that it might seem, so that the glory will go to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I think you now can have tea and coffee. You are allowed. You will not be reprimanded. <laughs>